This I Work For Him podcast is brought to you in part by Rosedale Communications, offering author-centric literary consulting, writing, and editing services to help you capture your voice, craft your message, edit your content, and publish your completed manuscript for business or ministry online at craftingyourmessage.com. Hey, it's producer Michael Miracle here with a quick word of thanks for listening to the I Work For Him podcast. It's folks like you who make this workplace movement work. That's why we strive to highlight great authors and experts who bring phenomenal insight on how to bring Jesus into your workplace. Share this podcast with your friends, family, and coworkers, and together we'll make the I Work For Him mission a success. Thanks again for listening. Let's start the podcast. So glad you tuned in. Just know that every day we're praying for our audience and for us that something we say, we say will cause us to dig deeper in connecting what we hear on Sunday with what we do in our 9 to 5, in connecting our faith and our work and recognizing that our workplace is our mission field. And in that mission field, you and me, we may be the only Jesus our coworkers and employees may every may ever meet. The job that you hold, the people that you work with, none of that is by chance. The people that you work with, they need to meet Jesus, be released from the traps of sin in their lives, set the captives free, but you may be their only chance that that ever happens. However you're listening to I Work For Him today, just know, that we've prayed for you, and we invite you to check us out online at iworkforhim.com. That's iwork, the number four, him.com. Lots of great stuff out there, including signing up for our newsletter. You know, we've got a newsletter, which is really more my weekly blog, but as part of the blog on a weekly basis, it sends out the links for the last five shows in case you missed one and you see a topic that you'd really like to hear about. Go out to iworkforhim.com, and... You should click on the I Work For Him Nation flag, but you should also should sign up for the newsletter. Make sure you get that done. You can find that down at the bottom of the first page. All right. As a Christ follower, why should I care about what's going on halfway around the world in Jerusalem? Why is Israel so important? Why is Israel so polarizing? I think it's extraordinarily important to note that as a follower of Jesus, you've been adopted into the family of God. And where does this family of God originate from? Israel, of course. Israel is part of our history, and when you read the Bible, you learn that Israel is the center of everything in the future. I mean, the new Jerusalem, it's huge. In the meantime, what happens in Jerusalem impacts so much of what we do each and every day. So today, we're going to bring in Susan Michael. She joins us representing the International Christian Embassy in Jerusalem as the United States of America Director. Susan Michael, welcome to I Work For Him. Thank you, Jim. It's great to be with you and your listeners today. Well, I'm excited just to hear about what's going on in Jerusalem and hear more about the mission of the International Christian Embassy in Jerusalem. I just, it's something that most of us, we get so busy and so disconnected that we forget to think about the fact that there's some really significant stuff going on across the, the other side of the world. But before we get to all that, Susan, just a real quick question. How did you come to be a follower of Jesus? Well, I was all of 16 years old, and that was quite a while ago, and the Lord just uh, began to orchestrate things in my life to uh, create curiosity. I'd been raised in a church, a small uh, Presbyterian church, and over half of the church were my extended family in in a small town, and I really had never heard the real gospel truth 
of what Jesus had done for me on the cross. And uh, it was through some associations with others that uh, he orchestrated that I was at a meeting at a certain time with the right speaker and the right invitation, and it just spoke to my heart, and I went forward and received the Lord. And that that was the summer I was 16 going on 17. And when I gave, when I did come to the Lord, I gave him my life, and I said, Lord, I will go wherever you want me to go, and I'll do whatever you want me to do. Now, Jim, I never dreamed that he'd take me outside of my small little town there, <laughs> and uh, or for sure not out of my state. I it just never entered my mind, but it was a heartfelt prayer. And uh, with within a year, I was on my way to college, and within two years, I was on an airplane for my first trip to Israel. <laughs> so, where was that small town that you grew up in? In Kentucky. Well, give a shout-out. Come on, every small town in Kentucky needs a shout-out. <laughs> That's to Morganfield, Kentucky. Morganfield, Kentucky. We love that. Maybe one day we'll be on location in Morganfield, Kentucky, because of the legacy that you left there. All right, so how did the Lord grow in your heart, Susan Michael, a love for the land of Israel and the people of Israel? Well, keep in mind, I'm from a small town. I didn't know any Jewish people. I didn't know anything about Israel. I'd never been interested in history or politics or anything international whatsoever. But I went to the Lord, and all of a sudden I fell in love with the Bible. And so every day I'm devouring the Bible, reading it as my spiritual guidebook from the Lord to me, and He used it and spoke to my heart so much. So when it was time to go to college, I decided, you know, I want to major in the Bible because that's what I want to study. I really don't want to study anything else except the Bible. So I chose that as my major. I went away to Christian college, uh, to Oral Roberts University in Oklahoma, and it was there as a Bible student that I heard somebody talking about studying abroad in the summer, and I thought, well, you know what? That sounds like a fun idea. I can study abroad. I can have fun and earn credit all at the same time. So, okay, well, where would I go? But, well, the land of the Bible. I knew nothing about it, nothing. I didn't know anything about the history of it since the Bible, nothing. And But I went to one of my theology professors, and I said, do you know of any study programs in Israel? Because I would like to, uh, I would like to go there. And he said, I do. And if at all possible, go, because it will change your life. And I had chosen the one professor in the whole university that had a relationship with a school in Jerusalem. And so the next summer, at the age of 19, I boarded a very big airplane, and I flew to Israel for a six-week study program that completely changed my life. The Bible came alive. It just stood up and came alive. It was about real people and real places, and it was accurate, and it was true. And that in itself was world-changing. But I also learned about modern Israeli society, about uh, you know, the basics about Israel itself. And it really affected me so deeply that I thought, I want to come back, and I want to study here more. So when I finished my bachelor's degree at the university here in the United States, I returned to Israel to get a master's degree. And that's when the Lord really sealed the deal in my heart, two years in Israel, 
studying all about the history of Israel, about the history of Judaism, history of Christianity, Islam, the modern history of the Middle East. And uh, it began a lifelong learning. You, you'll never learn it all when it comes to the Middle East. Um, but that's, it was through the Bible that the Lord got my heart interested in Israel. And then it was through going there and experiencing it that it all just came alive. So you said something, a couple of things very, very significant. You said your professor said it will change your life if you get to go and study in the land of Israel. Did it? It absolutely did. It changed the trajectory of the rest of my life. But just having the Bible come alive and your faith be ignited, it's life-changing for anyone, and we hear it all the time. We, we take many Christians to Israel every year, pastors, young adults, uh, congregants, and they, we hear this over and over and over, I will never be the same. But as a 19-year-old, and I'm just going to, because there's a lot of people listening today that will never get the opportunity to travel to Israel, because it, it, it's quite exorbitantly expensive today to get over there. It, and today we've got things accessible to us that we never had before, like Google Earth. I mean, you can literally go and, and the internet. When you were 19, Google Earth and the internet didn't even exist yet. I mean, well, the internet existed, but it, nobody knew that it existed. But you didn't have the access to that kind of stuff. Do you think you could get the same experience of studying Israel on the internet that you got being on the ground there? Absolutely not. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, I just encourage everyone listening that if you want to go to Israel and experience this, just begin to save whatever you can every week or every month. Begin to pray and ask God to provide what you need to go because your life will be changed. Your faith will be so ignited and stronger, and the Lord wants to see that happen. So just ask Him in faith to help you, and you never know what will happen. And, and the reason, Bill, that I say that, nothing compares to going there and sitting on the very Sea of Galilee and seeing where Jesus ministered to His people to understand the significance of why the story took place here and not there, and why the scripture means this and not that. There's nothing that compares to it. No book, no internet, <laughs> no picture. They've got to go. She's the U.S. Director of the International Christian Embassy in Jerusalem, and we're talking about, I wanted to deal with this topic today because so few of us really understand what's really going on over there in the Middle East, and as Christ followers, because we're adopted into the family of God, what's going on in Jerusalem and with the people of Israel impacts us and we are one in mind and spirit with these people as we look at what God, that's God's chosen people. So I wanted to bring on an expert, and I also wanted to really take a look at what's going on in Jerusalem. And so we've got Susan Michael. Susan Michael, let me just ask you a question. Why is it important, in your perspective, for Christ followers to be supportive of Israel? Well, there are so many reasons, and we can speak, you know, uh, a lot of different reasons. But let me just hone in on biblically and why this is significant spiritually for a Christian. Um, you know, when you realize the faithfulness of God to his people, that he, promises he made to Abraham 4,000 years ago are being fulfilled in our day, we realize that we Christians serve a very faithful God. And therefore, all of the promises that we're standing on in faith, that, that we read in the Word, that we're, we're 
grasping onto it by faith, we can be assured that his promises are true, that his word is yea and amen, that he doesn't break covenant and he doesn't alter the word that has gone out of his mouth. And so what his word says is absolutely true. We can base our life on it. We can base our careers on it. We can base our major decisions on it. We serve a faithful God. And the Word, the Bible, is so true. And you know, there's archaeological finds every day in Israel, and it's like building momentum. It's the most exciting time in archaeology in all of history for Israel. The things that they're uncovering, and not one of them has disproved the Bible. They all prove the accuracy of the Bible. This book is absolutely accurate and to the finest detail. We can trust it. We can study it. We can know that it's truth. So those so, so are the, two key reasons. So talk to me about, you just mentioned something fascinating, and I didn't plan on asking you a question, but you're, you're way more in tune with what's going on in Israel on a daily basis. You said that, that they're making archaeological finds on a daily basis that prove the Bible. What's one of the most significant ones they found recently that, that, that when you heard about it, you're like, that is awesome that they found that? Oh, yeah. This is the most exciting find I've ever heard of. But down deep in, underneath the city of Jerusalem, where they have uncovered the archaeological remains of the ancient Canaanite city, the Jebusite city that was Canaanite that David then took, they have found archaeological remains of the Canaanite period, of the Davidic period, of the Nehemiah period. They have all of these remains over centuries. But listen to this. They found down at the very bottom, at the Canaanite level of Jerusalem, and, and let me just explain for your listeners, a lot of these cities, they're built and then they're destroyed and they're rebuilt on top of the very same place, and then it's destroyed and then it's rebuilt again on the very same place. So when I say they're digging down, that's why there's layers of civilization in these cities. And at the Canaanite level, they have discovered an altar that is not a pagan altar, it's to the one true God with blood sacrifice and animals and, and oil, olive oil for anointing. And the archaeologist believes that he has found what may have been Melchizedek's altar in the Canaanite city of Jerusalem. Now, you can't get more exciting than that. No, wow, going all the way back then, Melchizedek was, correct me if I'm wrong, he was the high priest that Abraham tithed to after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, correct? Am I, that's I, right. That's right. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Now that is very, very cool. All right. So you're the United States of America director, the USA director of the ICEJ, which is the International Christian Embassy in Jerusalem. What is the ICEJ all about? Well, Jim, in 1980, when I arrived in, in Israel to begin my master's degree, there were two things happening. One is a group of Christians had decided to begin celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. At that point, the church did not know about the Feast of Tabernacles, but once we started celebrating it in Jerusalem, it spread now all over the world. Many churches celebrate the feast, and they're familiar with it, but then no one was. So they decided to start celebrating it every year, and they were organizing the very first celebration, a uh, Christian celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem in September. Now, the other thing that was happening is that summer before, the Israeli government had passed what's called the Jerusalem Bill, 
and they had declared that the entire city, all of, all of the city of Jerusalem was the eternal and undivided capital of the, of the state of Israel. It would never be divided again. They had the whole city and it was the capital. There was tremendous international uproar against that. And there were the Arab countries threatened oil embargoes on any country that recognized Jerusalem as the capital. And so all the embassies that were in Jerusalem literally packed up and moved out of the city in the summer of 1980. So at this very first Christian celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles, these Christian leaders made the announcement, we do not support what our governments have done, and therefore we're starting an international Christian embassy in Jerusalem that represents the millions of Bible-believing Christians all around the world who understand the significance of Jerusalem to the Jewish people and stand with Israel at this moment. So that's how we were started, and the Israeli government welcomed us warmly as the only embassy in Jerusalem. And I'll tell you, 38 years later, we are still the only embassy in Jerusalem. But the good news is that finally we have an American government that has made the decision they're going to move the embassy to Jerusalem, and we believe that many more countries are going to follow them. But that's how we started. That's how we have our name. But our mission statement was Isaiah 40, verse 1, which says, Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, says the Lord. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And so we have been there as a Christian ministry showing Christian love and support to the people of Israel and representing that global church that supports them and is praying for them. We're like the hands and feet of the global church there in Israel, on site, ministering and loving uh, on the people. And then we have uh, out in the nations, we have branches in over 90 countries. And through our branches, we are also teaching in the churches and and educating the Christian community in our nation about the biblical significance of Israel, about the biblical significance of the Jewish people, and the importance of standing with Israel. So that, in a nutshell, is what we do. You know, I I love that. And I want to delve in a little bit deeper, because there's a lot of people, a lot of listeners here in iWorkroom that will listen to it live today in the rebroadcast and the podcast that don't really understand and appreciate the significance of Israel. Now I am, I'm a news freak. So I've been studying Israel since I, you know, first started reading the newspaper for seventh grade social studies. So just a few, like 40 years ago. So I have, I have watched the stories and I have studied the stories and I've studied the history and I've, I've read my Bible 30 plus times. So I, I mean, I, I, I read it all the time. And right now, I just read through Leviticus for the first time and enjoyed it for the very first time. Wow, and, and that's amazing. Because that's a tough book to enjoy. It's a tough yeah, book to is. enjoy. But I, got, but I got a new version. I got the NLT version, and I also got a copy of the Cultural Bible. And the two of them together helped me to appreciate a lot of the stuff going on in Leviticus, which was absolutely critical to really understanding and appreciating that book. But talk to us workplace believers, people that are just maybe even new to their faith to understand why does what's going on in Israel impact me and my faith and how I live out my faith in my workplace? Well, you have to understand the biblical significance of the Jewish people to understand the significance of modern Israel. And when God, when, you know, we have the book of Genesis, the first 10 chapters of Genesis, 
man has fallen into sin. He's absolutely destitute, and there's no hope for him. He's headed for hell. I mean, uh, the sin is just abounding. And But God had, had a, intended all along that he was going to have a plan of redemption for mankind. And so in Genesis 12, he chooses the man named Abram, and he speaks to him, and he makes an astounding promise. And he says that I'm going to make you a great nation, and out of you I'm going to bless every family on the earth. Well, the Apostle Paul later says that that verse is the first preaching of the gospel because the blessing of every family on the earth was actually going to be the redemption that Jesus would win for us on the cross. So here was God's plan. He makes his announcement to Abram. He's going to create a people, and through them, he's going to carry out a plan of world redemption to redeem fallen mankind. Now, it's an amazing plan, and when we come back from your break, I'll tell you the rest of the story. You know, as a Christ follower, we, it is so important for us to understand. Yeah, I mean, I understand you got a job, you're, you're working your job, and your work is important. In fact, your work is your mission field. Yet our eternity is going to be spent in and around the great town of Jerusalem. Our history, because we're adopted into the family of God, is in this nation of Israel. We need to understand the significance of that little, small, little strip of land in the Middle East that causes commotion every day across the globe. That little country is so significant. And what does it have to do with you and me? Well, that's why we brought on Susan Michael, the USA Director of the International Christian Embassy in Jerusalem. Susan, welcome back to I Work For Him. Thank you, Jim. Uh, I, I, just have, I have a question for you. So, because you said that there was that you guys right now are still the only embassy in Jerusalem, and I thought I heard, and again, obviously I must be wrong, that we, that the United States, yes, we didn't have one, we had ours in Tel Aviv, but that there were still a few other countries that had meeting places but they were i mean do they have meeting places just not official embassies in jerusalem what's the deal on that well there's been no embassies in jerusalem for 38 years now there was a few years where there were two latin american countries that did put their embassy back in jerusalem and then during one of the wars they moved them out again Hmm. Okay. So, yeah, we're very happy the U.S. is going to be moving their embassy there within the year. So we're excited about that. And I am excited about that. That When, I, when President Trump made that announcement, I went to the book of Revelation going, oh, yeah, none of that stuff could happen without us kind of saying, no, this is it. This is the <laughs> really because really what he's saying is that, yep, the Bible's right. This is where it's going to be. Israel has been calling Jerusalem its capital for years and and now the United States can actually recognize what our Israeli, I mean, you guys are the, the Israeli, uh, the Israel, the people of Israel. Sorry, trying to get that out of my head, are our allies. Yet we have been denying them their capital for decades. It's it's just ridiculous. Yeah, yes. well, Jim, before the before the uh, break, we were talking about. Uh, God's choice of the Jewish people, and I'd, I'd like to continue that because you were talking about the importance of the land, and that leads to the importance of Jerusalem. And I want to let you go. I want to let you go to that, but I want to ask you a question about the term Jew, because there's a lot of people. You know, when you read when when people read the Old Testament, they hear Israelites, and then we know because we read the Old Testament that ten tribes of Israel were scattered among the nations and never brought back 
and and it was the Jews and the people of the tribe of ben, or excuse me the people from Judah and the people from the tribe of Benjamin that were taken to Babylon and then returned. Where did the the term Jewish come from? I had heard that it was a slang because it was based on the people from the tribe of Judah. Is that true? That is true, because uh, after the northern kingdom of Israel was taken into exile, there was um, about 150 years there where the kingdom of Judah uh, did stand sovereign, and uh, then they were taken into exile, and uh, that is where the term Jewish came from. But today, you know, I want to be clear that today the term Jewish, um, it refers to anyone um, of that faith or even uh, ethnicity born Jewish, and uh, they come from all the tribes. You cannot know today really which tribe a Jewish person has come from. And the ten tribes were not really lost. Uh, some of them did come back to the land after the Babylonian exile, and others of them migrated so that today our organization, we just helped bring back the lost, what you would call the lost tribe of Manasseh, from India. So for 2,700 years, they've been in exile, where they went from Assyria across the the, uh, silk trading route into China and then down into India. And today they've come home to Israel. Hmm. Now, that's the kind of history I want to make, because that was a question I had. All right. Now, I'll let you answer your question. I apologize. I just really thought that that history was important for people because well, many of us have heard about the, lo- the lost 10 tribes of Israel kind of thing. So yeah. talk to me about well, the significance of Jerusalem and the people of Israel. Yes, and the land of Israel, because when God told Abraham, I'm going to start this plan to redeem the world, he then said, I'm going to give you a piece of land, and it's the land of Canaan. And we look at that today, and we're like, why do the Jews need land, and why why is it so important? Well, we have to understand that the, the gift of land was an integral part of the Abrahamic covenant, which is an eternal, everlasting covenant. Secondly, God chose a piece of land for them because he needed it. You have to understand land is like God's stage in the world, and it's on that land where he made them into a nation, and he set into place the Davidic kingdom. Um, But he also told them, if you do not obey me, you will be kicked out of the land, because it was like a holy land for a holy people. It was God's land. He had chosen it. And sure enough, they fell into sin. They went into exile, not once. Uh, but twice. But after the first exile, they came back, back to the stage, and God set everything in place, and the birth of Jesus and his death on the tree took place for you and me. He needed that place, that locality, for the Son of God to be born in and come to. And then they they went back into exile for 2,000 years, and in our generations, they've come back, and we need to realize God's setting the stage again for the next and final great act of history, and that's the return of Jesus to the planet. He's returning to that piece of land and to that city. Jesus himself wept over the city of Jerusalem, and he told them, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and that they welcome him. So he's coming back to a Jewish Jerusalem and to the land of Israel. And that, Jim, is the significance of the state of Israel today in that land. Now, you mentioned the returning of the Jews to Israel, which, as I learned on a previous show, I believe it's pronounced Aliyah. 
What is, as you just mentioned, people from the tribe of Manasseh have been brought in from India. So people, but people have been Jews of, from all over the world, from all over the globe have been drawn back into Israel. Talk to me about that process. Well, yes, it's a great move of the Holy Spirit drawing his people home. And uh, the Bible uh, promised us that he would bring them from the north and the south and the east and the west. And he would bring them back uh, to their land, just as he promised them. And all those prophets, he, he warned them if they fell into sin, they'd go into exile. But he always promised them, but I will bring you back. One day you will return. And we see that happening in our time. It is so exciting. He said, I'll speak to the north, you know, that you will come back from the north, that in fact, the exodus from the north will be so great that it will overshadow the exodus out of Egypt when they were slaves in Egypt. And you know that there's been over a million Jews came out of the former Soviet Union and are back in Israel to where today one out of every five Israelis uh, is Russian, and a lot of the signs now are, are in Russian as well as the Hebrew and the English and the Arabic. There was a, a major movement, and then the tells us, I'll speak out, you know, hold them not back. And there have been over 150,000 Jews from Ethiopia, and we're right now helping bring the last 9,000 Jews from Ethiopia uh, to Israel. So the scripture is uh, is very clear that there would be this drawing from the four corners of the earth. There was a promise he'd bring them from the, every country in which they had gone to, and we see that happening today. So you being the USA director of the International Christian Embassy in Jerusalem, th- help us to understand how we should get involved in the mission of the ICEJ, which people can find out online at the ICEJ, no, ICEJUSA.org, not the, but www.ICEJUSA.org. How, how should we be getting involved in your mission? Well, there's many ways. Number one, we have an Isaiah 62 prayer initiative. And so if they go to our website, go underneath campaign, and you'll see the Isaiah 62 prayer campaign. We have people all around the globe that pray with us every month. We send out prayer points from Jerusalem for Israel, for the Middle East, and for our ministry there. And we have millions of people around the world praying with us every month. Secondly is there's a, a biblical mandate also of, of blessing Israel and a blessing financially. And Paul took up a, a, an offering for the saints in Jerusalem everywhere he went. So there's a biblical precedent for this, and we've seen people's lives just be so blessed as they began to give to Israel. And we have amazing projects in Israel. They're done by us, and uh, the Christians can get behind some of those humanitarian aid projects, or they can help us bring the Jews back from Ethiopia with their donations. So what would, Thirdly, some, of those, what would some of those humanitarian projects look like? Let's not miss that. What, some well, specific things have, people could get involved in. We have the largest home for Holocaust survivors in Israel. And this is an amazing work because these precious survivors you know, they're dying out. There's only about 10 years left that will even have survivors with us. They looked evil in the eye. 
They suffered tremendous trauma their whole life. Many of them still have nightmare and trauma from what they experienced. And yet one-third of them in Israel are actually impoverished. They don't have enough money for food and medicine. They often have to decide. And so we opened this home to bring them in where they live with each other, uh, you know, other survivors. They understand each other. There's fellowship every day. It, it's a secure place. They have food and they're cared for. And it has made such a difference in their lives. And many of them thought that, uh, and that Christianity had a role to play in the Holocaust. And so it's so, a healing for them to understand that there are Christians that love them, and there's millions of us, and that there will never, ever be another Holocaust. And um, it, it's a tremendous ministry. But we, we also do uh, food baskets for the needy. We, um, we, do, uh, we buy bomb shelters, portable bomb shelters, and put them in communities that are vulnerable to attack. Uh, because with missiles, sometimes I only have 15 seconds to get into a shelter. So they need lots of these portable bomb shelters in their communities and at bus stops. So we do much. That's just a few examples of what we do that uh, is blessing the people of Israel. Susan, I, one of the questions when you and I talked on the phone in preparation for today's show, you mentioned some of the absolutely incredible things that have allowed the people of Israel to flourish right there back in their old homeland. What are some of the incredible things that God has made possible? Well, um, I think you're talking about the way that they're, they are leading the world and blessing the world through their innovation. Um, the people of Israel, you know, because they have been really in a state of war since their birth, and uh, a lot of pressure on them, and in the military, they, were, they had to be one step ahead of their enemy, and they had to be technologically more advanced than their enemy, and they had to have superior uh, intelligence. And, and so these young men come out, of, and women, come out of the military, and they then go into the uh, private industry, and they're, they're doing the same type of innovation, and they're inventing all kinds of innovative things of, um, of in medicine and in um, computers, technology, agriculture, all these different fields, water conservation and, and actually water desalinization. They are just leading the world. They're going to Africa now, and they're providing water wells, solar-powered water wells for African villages, and they're, they're bringing light into darkness in Africa. And and they have the key for the future in so many of these technologies because we all need water and we need light and uh, we need resources. And they're just amazing and they're, they're going to be a great blessing to the world. And, of course, the, the word promised that in Isaiah 60. It says that his glory and his light would be upon them and that kings and nations would be drawn to that light. So they have a role to be a light to the nations, and being there uh, in Israel uh, through what they've experienced, it's made them a cutting-edge people um, able to invent and to uh, innovate like no other, and God is using them in a mighty way. Now, you know, I, I, you read in First Kings chapter 11, verse 13, 
uh, it's saying there that, and even so, I will not take away the entire kingdom. I will let him be king of one tribe. And for the sake of my servant David, and for the sake of Jerusalem, my chosen city. Why is Jerusalem, why is it so key to the biblical history of the people of Israel? Why does it go so deep? Well, because God chose it. That's exactly what that scripture oh, okay. says. So. But but there's a lot of there's a lot of, Thank you for that, Susan. Okay. Now it makes you sound like I asked a dumb question. What I meant was there's a lot of stuff that happened in and around this where the city of Jerusalem lies today that's in the old testament that that I mean that area, God chose that area long before the before David took it over from the Jebusites, didn't he? Well what's interesting is I don't think we even understand how significant Jerusalem is. And the fact that even in the time of Abraham, we had this priest to the Most High God, Melchizedek, in that city worshiping the one true God tells us that there's something almost of eternity in Jerusalem. And uh, in Hebrews, of course, Christ is depicted as the high priest in the order the eternal order of Melchizedek, which is outside of the Aaronic priesthood or the Levitic priesthood. So there is something mysterious and that's eternal about Jerusalem that really we're, we're not privy to that information. But in the time of David, it was a Jebusite city that was outside of the 12 tribes. I don't know if you realize that, but the Jebusite city was allowed to remain and the tribes were all around it. So that's why David chose Jerusalem, was because it was independent, and he could put his kingdom there and unite all the tribes behind him. But when he did that, God made it clear to David that he had chosen Jerusalem, and, uh, and he made it clear to Solomon that he had chosen that place and that his heart would always be towards it. So the city of Jerusalem, it's God's choice. It's a city very dear uh, to him, but it's the place for the future, too, and that's why it's so significant to us today. That's the place Jesus is coming back to. Why is it that the world, not all of the world, but why is it that so many people in the world have such great hatred and dis- some of his hatred, some of his just extraordinary dislike towards the Jewish people. Well, because uh, it's actually a a spiritual battle, and it's the the powers of uh, of evil that are against God and His plan to redeem the world. And the devil knows that the day Jesus comes back to that city and establishes the kingdom of God on earth, that's the day His reign is over on earth. And he doesn't want to see it happen. So if he can wipe out the people of Israel, if he can take over the city of Jerusalem, if he can keep this from happening, it keeps him in place and in power. And that's why there's constantly a battle against the Jewish people. In generation after generation, there's hatred for them. There's attempts to... Um, to persecute them, and there's attempts to annihilate them when the devil can get that in place. And that's why it's actually a battle against God and against the future kingdom of God that's coming to the world. Is your job a dangerous job? I mean, representing Jesus Christ from Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth, as they call him, the Nazarene, in the city of Jerusalem, 
is your job does that create danger for you or or are you a, is it safe for you i mean it, because a lot of people i mean is there a connect is there a connection there is there a danger there well there could be but there's really not i mean there's been times when there was terrorism in the city of jerusalem and everyone was in danger uh that lived there and there's times when uh you know israel's enemies uh they do want to go after christians that support israel they're, we're considered as much an enemy as the people of Israel. Um, but honestly, no, it, it's not that dangerous. We've, we enjoy uh, the peace and protection of the Lord. And we're just so determined because we know that what we're standing on is the truth of the Word of God. And there's really nothing that's going to stop us from that. You know, the ICEJ, the International Christian Embassy in Jerusalem, has become a leader amongst the various pro-Israel organizations, which is fantastic. Can you share about the American Christian Leaders for Israel, I mean, that other yes. organization? Yeah. Yeah, Jim, you know, from the beginning, our role as an organization was to be like an umbrella organization. We were representative of everyone, and, and but here in the United States... Um, we have really uh, been able to formalize that, and we saw the need about three years ago. We saw the need to unite the voices, the Christian voices in support of Israel. Our country is so big, and just one organization by itself really does not have the voice that's needed to really impact the nation and impact our government. And at that point, three years ago, we had a government that was about to sign a really a disastrous agreement with Iran, which would actually have allowed, um, you know, production of nuclear weapons may be delayed, but it still would, would, would happen. And we were so much against that. So we began to unite these Christian leaders in letters uh, to the president against the Iran agreement. And uh, then during the presidential campaign, we saw that there needed to be some specificity in where the candidates stood on Israel, because no one knew where either one of them really stood. They said they were pro-Israel, but what did that mean when it came to Jerusalem, or what did it mean when it came to borders and these things? And, and so we did a letter to both candidates. We got 650 Christian leaders to sign on to this letter saying, we're asking you to agree to these five issues regarding Israel. One of them was Jerusalem being the capital. One was a, a sanctions, stronger sanctions on Iran, and these types of things. And uh, the Trump campaign immediately agreed. Uh, the Clinton campaign never did. But um, so this year we, we united our voices to let Trump know we wanted him to fulfill his promise and move the embassy. So we formalized it with American Christian Leaders for Israel. Our website is acl4israel.com. Just Google American Christian Leaders for Israel and see our campaigns, but also see the amazing event coming up in May where we're going to celebrate Israel's 70th birthday. And it's going to be really tremendous. I want to make sure people don't see This is not political, because I don't go political on my show because it's too dangerous for me. This isn't a political thing. This is a biblical thing, isn't it? That's, that's right. It's, it's biblical, and sometimes we just need to take a stand. You know, our organization, our focus is not political either. It's biblical, and it's humanitarian aid and service and working against anti-Semitism. But sometimes you need to take a stand, and this has allowed us to do it in a very impactful way. Susan Michael with the International Christian Embassy in Jerusalem. Thanks so much for being on I Work for Him today. 
It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Make sure you check them out online at icejusa.org, icejusa.org. You know, the message is simple and clear. We as Christ followers are called to bring freedom to the masses through our interaction with them in the workplaces. Our work is a calling and our workplace is no accident. Just say it with me each and every day as we end the show. I work for him. <laughs>